Would you bow your hearts in prayer with me? Heavenly Father, we do offer up praise to you this morning. Uh, We thank you for your Son. We thank you for the work of your Son on the cross. We thank you for his life, his death. And Father, we thank you for his glorious resurrection. Father, be with us as we open up your word this morning. We ask that you would allow those distractions that are already creeping into our minds to be pushed back that you would be in your rightful place in the forefront of our minds. Father, we commit this, uh, this, these moments to you. We open up your word looking to be fed as your sheep. We're grateful uh, that we can meet together as a body. We're grateful for this building and this opportunity. Father, continue to speak in us. Father, may our lives look different as we leave this place because of your word. Again, Father, we give you thanks for your Son. And it's His name that we pray these things. Amen. So this past Saturday, yesterday, uh, my wife Jessica and I celebrated 22 years of marriage. You can clap, that's okay. I know for some that seems like a really long time, and there are some of you that are sitting there thinking, man, you have no idea. Um, <laughs> But I've spent a lot of time this past week really reflecting on how much I love Jess. I mean, not just the daily I love yous or the stolen kisses in the kitchen as we make dinner together, but but the real weight that it is to love your spouse. I mean, love is just a really hard thing to understand. I mean, if you have parents, then you know that, that loving someone... That, that you don't pursue. You're born into a relationship with your parents. It, it's easy. Having children is the same way. That moment you hold them, oh, that feeling of love that you have for this person that you didn't even know existed moments before. But spouses are different. For those married, I mean, do you remember that moment? That moment you knew. I met Jess for the first time at a concert. We both happened to go with the same large group. We hadn't met before. We didn't even travel up in the same vehicles. But there was this moment that I looked down the row of people and I saw her. It was that moment I knew. I I may have even asked Tim Weaver to switch seats with me so I could sit next to her the entire time. And I haven't left her side yet. But falling in love is is pretty easy to do. I mean, everything seems perfect. Your significant other has no faults. And you even hear some music and maybe see rainbows every time you're together. But, But marriage isn't always that pretty. I mean, I've had the privilege to preside over a few weddings here and there. And one thing that I always speak about is the fact that marriage is work. Marriage is at times the hardest thing I've ever had to do. But here I stand, married to my beautiful bride for the past 22 years, and we were told that our marriage would never last. As a pastor, I've had the, the opportunity to see and to talk to couples who were not so happy. 
There was a moment where they were so in love. But now they find themselves just bitter and angry towards each other. They started out madly in love. But they failed to sustain and and deepen that love. Well, being a Christian is a lot like falling in love. That moment, that moment when you first met Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, oh, how great was that moment. I mean, do you remember yours? I remember the first time I heard the gospel. Romans 6.23, For the wage of the sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But I also remember that moment in the living room of my parents' house, alone, and on my knees, confessing and repenting and declaring Jesus as my Savior. I mean, that very moment, the guilt is gone. You're now at peace with God. You're filled with joy in this hope of everlasting life. It feels wonderful and amazing, and it even feels powerful. But those wonderful feelings, those feelings that you have in those moments are not automatically going to last. Trials and struggles and disappointments, they are going to come. You may suffer health problems. You may pray for something and, and not feel that God has rightfully answered you. Doubts creep in. You will be hurt by friends and family at some point. Your kids may turn out out as you hoped and prayed. You'll get busy with work and, and other obligations that slide into your daily life. So the question is, how do you sustain? How do you continue on this long haul, this life with Christ? I mean, the the truth is, some don't. Some do grow bitter and angry. Some do fall prey to to false teachers selling them health and success if if you only believe enough. Some will just fall prey to social causes or political agendas, fake community. And some are just going to fall prey to being relevant. And then there's some who just settle into routine Christianity. And like a routine marriage where you go through the motions and you live like roommates, but the enjoyment, the love, the the excitement, it's just not there. And, And soon enough, other things become more important. Other things just begin to become easier. And we know that we love things that come easy. That we don't have to work for. The section that we're going to look at this morning, this section in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, this speaks into this this morning. This speaks on this very issue this morning. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can open up to the book of Colossians. And we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. is what Paul writes, and I'll be reading all the way from verse 6 all the way into verse 10. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, 
rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. These, these verses, verses 6 through all the way through 10. If, if you were to open up the book of Colossians and you were to pick out what it is, what should you read, what should you look at, these are the verses. The book hinges on these verses. It changes a little bit of direction in these verses, but these are the verses of Colossians. And if we're going to give a brief overview, we're going to look at, at chapter 2 this week, chapter 3 next week, and chapter 4 the week after that. We can't go past these verses here. This is where we have to start. I mean, Paul begins this section of this letter with a reminder. He highlights what has already happened. They've received Christ Jesus the Lord. And because of the receiving of Christ, it gives the basis, it lays the foundation, it begins to lay where he can begin to give them a challenge, a command to walk in Christ. They had received Christ in the past and should now walk in Him in the present. Now we need to be careful as we read the word received though. We're, we're quick to interpret it. We're quick to look at it as accepting Jesus into your heart. Right? I received Christ. And although to receive something is to accept it, to take it, to hold on to it, this is not particularly what the word means here. When Paul speaks about that they have received Christ, he's speaking in terms of accepting the instruction given to them by a teacher. Now, flip over a page to Colossians 1. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 8. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints... Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us of your love in the Spirit. The Colossians have been taught about Jesus Christ. They've been taught. They understand the gospel and it's been presented to them. It's been instructed to them by Epaphras and they've responded well to the gospel. Paul highlights this here. But here in Colossians 2.6, Paul is very specific in the way that they've received Christ. They've received it through the teaching, through the instruction through the careful speaking of it by Epaphras. But he's also very particular in the way he refers to Jesus. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord. In Greek, it's actually the Christ, Jesus the Lord. Now remember the term Christ is simply the Greek word for Messiah, the Anointed One. They have been instructed about Jesus and, and had come to believe that He was the promised Messiah who is Lord. 
But Messiah and Lord are, are very significant in Paul's effort to counter this heretical teaching that was occurring in the church. And it was attacking the deity of Jesus. Now as Messiah, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the prophecies extending all the way back to Genesis and then through the promises given to Moses and then through the prophets that would follow over the centuries. The identification of Jesus as Christ, as the Messiah, the promised Messiah, is not just a title, but the designation of His identity as the Son of God, and therefore Lord. And Lord is not used here as a, as a title of respect, such as calling someone Sir but the designation of His position as Master because of His deity. If you remember, we looked at chapter 1, verses 15-20, through 20, and we talked about Jesus being Lord over all creation. He holds it all together, and He's over Lord over the church. Jesus is not just Messiah, but He's Messiah and Lord. And Paul's very clear to make sure there's a distinction. This is the only time in the New Testament that this phrase, the Christ, the Lord, is in. Paul is destroying all arguments at this point of the false teachers in, in trying to make Jesus something other than or less than God Himself. Now, the command that Paul gives at the end of this verse is to walk in Him. To walk in Christ. Now, that is only possible because of the very fact that they have received Him. And the identity of, of whom they received is just as important as receiving Him. So the question is, what about receiving Christ? And as I've already stated and we already talked about, receiving is accepting something, taking delivery of something, holding on to something, something that's been given to you. In the case of Jesus, it encompasses the idea of believing, believing the One who claims to be and accepting what He's done on our behalf including adoption into God's family. John chapter 1, verses 12-13 through 13 says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the flesh, but of, but of God. Receiving Him and believing Him are together. They're linked in that passage. They go together. You also have to trust His promises. To say you believe that Jesus is, is the one who, who He claims to be and, and to not trust His promises is contrary to the thing that you're proclaiming, that you're professing, that you're saying you believe. Either Jesus can redeem man and forgive sins or He can't. Either He's able to reconcile man to God or He can't. Either He can keep the promise and bring us to heaven to be with Him forever, or He can't. We're either saved by God's grace through faith in Him, or we're not. Attempts to secure our own salvation apart from or in addition to what He's already done for us, what He's already promised is self-righteousness and, and is an insult to Him. Our righteousness, our righteous deeds are our filthy rags before a holy God. 
Paul explains our salvation this way in Titus chapter 3, verses 5-7. through He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, are you able to say that you have received Christ Jesus the Lord? Paul talks about walking in Him. So because the Colossians have received Christ, they were to walk in Him. Paul often uses the idea of walking as as this metaphor of the way a person should be living. In fact, if you're using the NIV, your translation doesn't say walk, it says live. Now, walking is not glamorous. Actually, the Olympics are, are coming up in a month or here, and the Olympic trials have been on TV, and if, you, if you've watched any Olympic trials, you've seen track and field, you've seen gymnastics, you've seen swimming. Um, but all the track and field events, I don't know if you've ever seen power walking. Uh, that's because it's not exciting. Um, even in, even in track and field, um, sprinting, sprinting gets all the... I mean, sprinting's exciting. It's, it's quick. It's strong. It's boom, and they're gone, and, and it's over, and yay, right? No offense to, to distant runners, but they actually have to have someone keeping track of their laps and ring a bell for that because they're so bored they forget how many lines <laughs> they've gone a, around. But, but walk, walking's not, not glamorous. We, we would love to read here that we're to run in Him or jump or fly in Him. They would be great, but it's walk. But a steady stride will accomplish your goal. When, when backpacking with a large group, uh, we try to keep everyone together as you're going up, especially up a, a long climb, and to help the miles move along easier, to encourage each other, uh, we do 20 steps. You walk 20 steps, and then you step off of the side of the trail, and you allow the other hikers to advance, and then you fill into the back of the line. One step at a time, 20 steps at a time, a quarter mile of a time, and soon enough you've reached your destination. So whether you walk or live, or whichever phrase you want to use, this, this, is, this is encompassing not only the actions you take, but your attitude and, and motivation as well. It, it's kind of like this double whammy. Paul uses this metaphor to both correct wrong practices that instruct in, in godliness, godlessness as well as contrast righteousness and wickedness. He's, he's kind of coming at it twofold here. I mean, Paul uses, Paul uses this metaphor throughout his writings. I mean, Ephesians 5.15, he warns, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. Because you have received Christ, we are to live in a manner that reflects the reality that Jesus is our Lord. Our actions, our attitudes, our motivation should be guided by the Spirit of God who indwells in us so that people should be able to see Jesus living through us. 
Walking in Christ is this practical expression of being crucified with Christ and no longer living for yourself, but Christ living through you. And it's not something that occurs instantly as much as, as, much as we would love it to. But it's something that, that begins at a point in time and, and improves the longer we go at it. Step after step. Walking in Christ is the result of being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we are living in in holy sacrifices acceptable to God. Walking in Christ is, is the logical, and let's face it, the right result of believing in Jesus as the Messiah and receiving Him as the Lord and Savior. If you believe this, then this is the next step. I mean, walking in Christ. It's a, it's a lot, again, like being married. If you're married, you need to live in the manner of being married. It's important for people to recognize that I'm married. If, if I am married to my, my lovely, beautiful wife, and I live in a manner that is that, that, that contrary to that, if... if if I continue to, to live as if I was single, then I'm not, I'm not just not honoring her. I, I'm, I'm not even honoring marriage or my commitment or my vow. There's nothing. I mean, what honor do I, I, I bring to my spouse? Well, if you're, if you're a Christian and not walking in Christ, and, and there's nothing in your life that is evident of that relationship or that that understand or, or transformation or anything, then, then I would ask, how are you, how are you honoring Christ? His, his death, His sacrifice for you. I mean, Paul then begins to explain how to walk or how to live in, in four ways. And we can see them as we, as we move into verse 7. Rooted, built up, established, and, and thanksgiving. We're just going to take them one at a time. Rooted. We are to be rooted in Him. That's simple enough. Think for a moment about the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. If you recall the parable, the sower spreads his seed which fell on four types of soil with very different results. Jesus explained the parable to the disciples telling them that, that the seed was, was the proclamation, the preaching of, of God's kingdom. And the first soil was, was beside the road. And those, those, it's about those who, who hear but, but just do not understand. And, and the evil one quickly snatches up the understanding and, and the birds will eat the exposed seed. Now the second soil was the rocky places. And this person is, is the one that hears and, and responds quickly. But there's just no depth in their belief. And, and soon the affliction and, and persecution arise and this person falls away. It's like a, a plant with shallow roots that's just withered by the sun. The third soil is, is filled with thorns. And this is a person who hears and, and begins to sprout, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches it, it gives is, just chokes it out and it, it bears no fruit. It's like a, a plant that's choked out by the weeds around it. And then the fourth soil is the good ground that allows the plant to sink its roots, sink its roots deep into the ground. 
This is a person that hears and, and understands, which then results in, in growth and fruit. This person has been firmly rooted in faith and it's that they still find refreshment deep into the soil even though the sun is hot, even though affliction and persecution come just as, just as Jesus said it would, but rejoices in knowing that His reward in heaven is great. This is a person who has learned to deal with the weeds of life that try to choke out any life that we show. And it actually begin to overgrow them and, and outgrow them and overshadow them and, and bring forth fruit. He's learned to take his worries and fear to God in prayer. Begins to gain peace with God, which passes all understanding. Those who walk in Christ have been firmly rooted. The Colossian church as a whole had already demonstrated that, that this, this good response to the Gospel. They understood the Gospel. We read that in chapter 1. And they had been rooted in Christ. But the danger was that some of them might not have been as deeply rooted as they could. And, and Paul's seeking, Paul's seeking to cultivate them so that the adversity and the weeds of false teachers that are knocking at their door, that are pulling away from them, it would not affect them. If, if, you, don't think, if you don't think the world is pulling at you, then you need to pay attention. We live along the creek. And we love living along the creek. But there's a lot of trees that grow along the creek bank. And as you watch them uh, begin to mature and begin to grow, they, they grow different than other trees that get planted in our ground. Uh, the bank is, is sloped, and so as the tree grows out of the bank, it, it begins to grow kind of parallel with the water. And then as it gets a little bigger and a little stronger, it, it begins to bend and begins to grow up towards the sky. They grow crooked. Well, it doesn't take long as the tree begins to grow, as the tree begins to mature, that the roots are unable to bear the weight of the tree and, it, and they always fall into the creek. But the trees that we plant, the trees that we make sure that are in good soil, they're in a place that aids to their growth. We even sometimes stake next to them to support them as they grow. They grow deep and big and fast. Paul challenges to be rooted, to grow our roots deep. And he moves into and to be built up. Being built up and being rooted. Well, built up is, is indicating that, it, that it's something occurring between... It, it's happening. It's, if, if you're a built up, it's something that's happening in the present tense. There's no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that as you begin to be rooted in Christ, you begin to be built up in Christ. Though, we will continue to be built. It's, it's, it's an ongoing process. It's one that never ceases. It, it will be happening years to follow. But, but Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's, it's started. It's going to continue to, to go. You're going to continue to be built. And, and recognize we're not being built up alone. 
And we see in other passages throughout Scripture that we're being built up with a body of believers. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1-16 through 16 are, is, a, is a great example of this. Paul explains that God gives spiritual gifts to His followers for the purpose of them doing the work of ministry, resulting in the whole body growing, maturing, and being built up in love. You're not alone. The Apostle Peter expresses the same idea in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-5. through 5. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is actively building. God actively builds up a local church body through the people He has called to Himself. That is why it's so crucial, it's so important that a local church has believers within it that are walking in Christ. A church can only be as healthy and strong as the believers that make it up. Paul moves right into being established in faith. The word established here is being used in the same way as someone making something firm or secure or stable, therefore establishing it. This describes the nature of what is being built. It is not enough to build a large structure. There there must be strength in the building. It's going to be collapsing. Two of my favorite toys growing up were Tinker Toys and Lincoln Logs. Because I'm a boy, I would build the biggest structure I could, and then with great joy in my heart, I would knock it down. I don't know why, I just did. But having traveled to other countries, I've, I've witnessed some, some pretty questionable building. I've seen some really questionable building practices. Homes built with very little support. Mud bricks or tin roofs or even thatched roofs. Imagine that type of home in Southern California where earthquakes are a pretty normal reality. I mean, if the building is not safe or strong or secure, then it becomes even more weak, even more frail in the midst of adversity, and it will eventually fail. On my desk, I have 1 Corinthians 10.12 in eyesight when I sit at my desk. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. If we're not strong and secure in our faith, in our walk, then we will certainly fall. Our faith in Christ is, is not a leap in the dark. Our faith is firmly rooted and built securely upon the truth of Jesus Christ and His promises. And as we walk in Him, the bonds of faith continue to increase and strengthen and remain firm even when we encounter the trials that that test our faith that James chapter 1 speaks about. In fact, in that same passage, it talks about the same testing will result in even greater maturity for the one that walks in Christ. A very familiar analogy that Jesus gives during the Sermon on the Mount, explaining the difference between a wise man and a foolish man, gives us even more insight to God establishing us in faith. The contrast of the analogy is between the house built on the sand and the house built on the rock. 
The house on the sand is, is hearing but ignoring the words of Jesus. And the house built on the rock is, is hearing and, and obeying and walking in the words of Jesus. Storms of life come against both homes. And the house that's on the rock remains firm while the house on the sand collapses. And the only difference presented in the two houses is the foundation. The life lived apart from Christ collapses because the storms of life undermine it. A life lived based on following Jesus is tested, but remains standing because the foundation is solid. Every test of our faith increases our confidence. And what Jesus, what Jesus said is true, and, and He will keep His promise. Those who walk in Christ are strengthened in their faith. And then this brings us to the last point. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the final result Paul mentions here, and it, and it marks the life of those walking in Christ. Now, your translation may say overflowing in thanksgiving. I mean, having been firmly rooted, having been built up, having been established, your life should result in thanksgiving for what God has done, is doing, and will do for us. I mean, Paul could have just said, believers, you are to be thankful. But he's not just happy with us being thankful. He wants us to be he wants us to be overbounding. He wants to be overflowing. He wants it to be pouring out of us. I mean, Paul's speaking about thanksgiving that is expressed publicly, not, not just in private worship. And it, and it would certainly include corporate times of worship, but the description goes even much beyond that. It goes further than that. It describes this normal response in life. Your everyday life should be overflowing, should be abounding with thanksgiving. Is it? Is it overflowing? I know what my answer would be. And I know if you ask my wife or my children if my life demonstrates overflowing thanksgiving, they might, they might not say the same thing I do. I mentioned earlier that we have a creek that runs behind our house. We, Mill Creek. I have grown up along Mill Creek. And I have to tell you that the word overflowing takes on a new meaning when you have water behind your house. Now, in this past week, we, we had a little rain where I live. Um, just a little bit. Um, but as the rain came down, uh, you began to see the, the, the creek beginning to rise. You began to see the water begin to sit upon the grass in the, in the yard. Uh, it became very... Uh, we realized very quick that we, we needed to move, begin to move things up from the, from the edge of the yard all the way up to the house where, where the floodwaters wouldn't reach. You cannot contain the water inside the banks of the creek. As you watch it rise, once it goes over the banks, it moves at such a rapid rate outside of the banks, it you have to be ahead of it. You have to prepare for it. 
it doesn't take long as the water overflows the banks that, that, that you really do lose you really do, you really do lose a view of where the banks were. You can no longer recognize where the water stopped and where the land started. I've grown up along that creek. I would like to think I could walk out of my house and to the edge of the creek without really paying attention, but once that water's flowing, you, it's hard to tell where, where the bank is. Let's not miss the fact that there's always an impact to overflowing. My yard always looks much different after a flood. It's always muddy. There's always people's trash throughout our yard. You always find something interesting. But you can, you can tell that the floodwaters have come through. Whether it's a creek or a cup or your life, the environment around you is affected by the overflowing. It's a thanksgiving that is also expressed when you're with your friends and when you're at the grocery store. I mean, let's be honest, in the world that we live in, the world does not go out of its way to give thanks to God for anything. It's not seeking out ways to praise God. If anything, it's looking for ways to push God off to the fringes. And it's become easy for us as Christians to not allow, to, to allow those who deny Christ to influence what we say. What we say in our schools or our workplaces or our communities or our neighborhoods. And before we stand up and, and shout in agreement and, and all join hands, let's recognize how quickly we, we allow this in our lives. How quickly we're, we're willing to take a back seat and allow the world to drive. We do this in what we watch, what we listen to. We do this in what we laugh at. This is not praising God. And this is not showing abounding thanksgiving. We should be quick to praise God and give our thanks to Him in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, communities, everywhere. I mean, if praying for your meal in a restaurant is the most outwardly display of your faith in the Lord of all creation, and the church, and everything that makes up your small world, then perhaps you need to be challenged to do a little more. Paul is also speaking of a thanksgiving that occurs in all circumstances. I mean, when Paul writes this letter, he's in jail. Suffering in jail, but he, but he finds a lot of reasons to rejoice and give thanks and, and even made the major theme of, of the letter to the Philippian church that he writes at the same time. He instructs on how to overcome anxiety through prayer, which includes thanksgiving as a, as a crucial aspect of our prayers. Our prayers and supplications are to be made with thanksgiving and in a matter of our requests finally brought to God. Philippians 4, 6. The result of those who walk in Christ will be one of thanksgiving. You cannot have one without the other. Hebrews 13.15 Through Him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge His name. Or to give thanks in everything. Your marriage only works if you work at it. If you only walk around telling people you're married without doing anything else, you will certainly not have a strong nor healthy 
marriage in any way. Your Christian faith also takes work. You can walk around telling people you're a Christian, but if, but if that is all you're doing, is just telling them that you're a Christian, then you're not going to be strong or healthy in your faith. And brothers and sisters, those false things that are screaming for your attention, oh, you will just flow with those currents. I do want to highlight as we close these things that, that Paul challenges, he challenges us to strive for, rooted up, built up, established. They're all things that go unseen. You never see the deep roots that hold up a massive tree. You don't see the deep foundation that holds up a large building. You don't even see the support of the structure. The only thing we see is the tree, the outside of the building. These are the very things that make it possible for the tree or the building to stand strong. When they're in place, If the roots are deep, if the structure is there, then that last thing is possible. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving that is overflowing, that is abounding. We like to do things that others see. We like to be recognized. But let me encourage you this morning to do the work that no one will see. Spend time in prayer. Read and study your Word. Pastor Joel last week highlighted again that as we read the Old Testament, it is helpful to have read other sections of the Old Testament. As you read Scripture, it is helpful to have a basis of what other pieces of Scripture say. It builds upon itself. It's not glamorous. but your roots will grow deep. You will be built and become established. And all of this will be in the knowledge of the One, of the Messiah, and of the Lord that we call Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we do again give You thanks and praise this morning. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we could read this letter that Paul pens. Father, we, we recognize that it is just as applicable to us today as it was to the church in Colossae. May we strive to recognize and reflect on Your work in our lives. That we would desire to walk in You. Father, we would desire to be rooted up, to be built up, to be established on the things that we have been taught. Father, and that we would be overflowing, that it would be abundant. Thanksgiving in our lives. That people would, people would be so sick and tired of us giving thanks to You. Father, Convict us when we claim that we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and live contrary to those statements. But Father, we thank You for the grace and the mercy that You 
continually show on us that we know, we know that through You we find forgiveness. That we can continually to pursue deep roots. Continually pursue to be built up. Continually pursue to be established. Father, remind us through Your Word, through each other, to continually to offer up thanksgiving in the things that we do. Father, we do give You thanks and praise this morning. We recognize uh, that Your Son is the Messiah and is the Lord. And we pray these things in His name. Amen.